the Black Jewish Queen live chat with the Black Jewish Queen herself, your host, Dr. Denise Gotautis. Hello. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I am excited uh, for today's program. We have a very, very special, special guest today coming on. Um, It's going to be Cantor Michael Zuzman. But before we get into the full topic of the program, we normally go into a commercial break. I just welcome everyone that is coming on and that is joining us for today's program. And I am just so happy that our guests have come on, but we go and we're going to take a commercial break first, and we will be right back with the Cantor. And hello to all of my supporters and listeners. This is Dr. Denise Gotadis, the host of the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat on the Caribbean Radio Show. I proudly support the mission of Give Back Jamaica Incorporated and the founder, Dr. Evie, of the Caribbean Radio Show. Dr. Evie helps children and families throughout Jamaica through shoe donations. We urge our listeners to support this great cause by donation of shoes or any monetary gift of your choice. Any donation, big or small, makes a huge difference, especially during the hurricane season. You can contact Dr. Evie by email at givebackjamaica at gmail.com. That is givebackjamaica at gmail.com. Or you can visit the webpage at www.givebackjamaica.org. That is www.givebackjamaica.org. Whatever it takes to build a nation. We should sing this. Let's try this. Yeah. 
Introducing the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat with the Black Jewish Queen herself, your host, Dr. Denise Gotautis. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for joining the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat. Today we have a very special guest. And our guest name is Cantor Michael Zuzman. And Cantor Michael Zuzman is board-certified chaplain with Neshema Association of the Jewish Chaplains, that is the NAJC, and received his cantorial ordination from the Jewish Theological Seminary of America in 2008. He sits as an advisory board member at the Death Penalty Action and is the founder of the Laheim Jews Against the Death Penalty. Michael is a former Jewish prison chaplain and a psychiatric hospital chaplain. Currently, he is a multi-faith hospital chaplain at a federal hospital in Maryland. And he wanted me to let you guys know that his comments here represent his own opinions. And right now, I would like to welcome Cantor Michael Zuzman. Now, Cantor, I'm just so happy, happy that you're here. And... If you will, could you tell the listeners a bit about what you do in yourself? Certainly. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Gotautis, for that warm welcome. And it's a great honor to be here on this uh, on this podcast. And I am happy to share uh, what I do. So I'm, as you said uh, in the introduction, I'm a multi-faith hospital chaplain. I cover various different hospital units, uh, pediatrics, um, as well as adults, mental health. And we have very serious cases here at the hospital where I work. And that's my day job. So I work with uh, people uh, in crisis in that regard. And uh, as an activist, I'm, I'm very involved with working toward mobilizing the Jewish community, particularly in the abolition of the death penalty in the United States and wherever it exists in our world. Yes. And so, um, Cantor, so um, you go throughout the United States and you stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And that is very, very admirable. Um, I see that you have done uh, many, many um, interviews for the anti-death penalty, you know, crusade. And I see many of your articles. I'm a, a fan from a distance. I I see, you know, the different cases uh, that you have um, um, fought for. Um, how many have been successful and how many haven't been successful for you? And <laughs> just out of curiosity. Oh, well, that's Have a you good been question. very successful? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I wish I could say that we've had uh, more successes in, in terms of saving lives than, um, than failures, if you put it in that regard. But uh, we have had many, many of our pen pals and uh, people we've gotten to know who have become execution victims. 
that said, every time we are able to change one heart or open one mind, in my opinion, it's a victory, no matter what happens to our, our pen pal. Um, so that's what keeps me going. And I wish I could give you an exact tally, but since I've been an active abolitionist with the death penalty movement yeah. in the past two years, many more have died than have been spared, unfortunately. And I know that you have a lot of opposition uh, as far as, you know, I know, and I'm, and I'm going to play, you know, devil's advocate here, but I just want to, you know, give more information about what you do because I admire what you do. It's very admirable. Um, I know that you have a lot of families that have lost loved ones through um, different crimes uh, done to them. Uh, but done to their family members, and they have fought, I know, against your cause to initiate the death penalty, initiate unforgiveness when it comes to these things of this nature. Um, I know that um, with our faith in the Jewish faith, you know, we are always, we're supposed to uh, be forgiving. And I wanted to ask you more about that. Have you had very large opposition uh, of family members who've lost loved ones who said, oh, no, you know, I think it should be an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, you know, um, how dare you, you know, not do this. And how how do you feel when someone comes to you uh, with this thing, you know, with this, with this unforgiveness, with, hey, they did it to my family member, I want them, you know, dead. How do you react when you come to people who are, have that attitude? That's a very good question. Uh, the first thing I'll say is that I do not cast any judgment on anyone who has lost a loved one, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, God forbid, a child, anyone who, um, who they have known. I, I count my blessings that I myself have not been in the situation of knowing people outside of those who are already condemned on death row, whom I've gotten to know and who have become friends who have been killed. So I cannot put myself, my tradition teaches me also not to judge that those individuals at all. Now, the irony, however, is that more family members have come to me in support of our cause than those who have been against it. More family members of victims and uh, more family members of, um, of people who have uh, been involved in cases that led to the death penalty. We have members of L'chaim, Jews against the death penalty, who are just that, who are family members of victims and loved ones of victims who are against the death penalty because it, they feel it causes more pain. They feel that it uh, just perpetuates the cycle of violence and killing. I have not had many direct contacts with, with family members uh, who, have, uh, who have heard about our group. Now, that might be because, you know, we cater mostly toward outreach in the Jewish community, right? Um, uh, right. But uh, and our, our role is to, to mobilize the Jewish world on this issue. Um, but I, I would say that, in my opinion, it's society's responsibility, civilized society, to, um, to respond 
in in uh, the most ethically appropriate value-driven way possible to the most heinous crimes and to evaluate how we respond to those crimes as a collective and not based on, a, on, on an emotional response for which I do not judge at all how people feel. But that cannot be how people respond. For instance, I'll tell you this. God forbid, okay. if something were to happen, uh, let me preface this by saying I have it written in my will that if something were to happen to me, if I were to be murdered, God forbid, I would not want the uh, a jurisdiction to car- carry out a death penalty uh, against a perpetrator against me. Now, that's one thing to say. The other thing to say is I cannot fathom how I would respond if one of my loved ones were to be killed, were to be heinously murdered. And uh, however, I would want society to take away that burden from my shoulders and that responsibility of how best to respond as, as a victim myself. And I would rather it be given to the laws of the land, which I hope are based on fundamental human rights. And that would be my desire. Yes. Yes. And now I know that your feeling, along with many others out there, even though um, there is, um, you know, in uh, popular, I'll say popular culture, uh, it's it's just an overall feeling, uh, Cantor, I've noticed, of rage when people commit, you know, certain heinous crimes. But at the same time, um, I, I, I understand your point of view, too, um, when those individuals, um, they, the individuals, of course, who go out and commit these crimes, they may have had um, trauma in their lives, especially growing up. In some ways, you know, I understand in that, you know, their lives probably were kind of messed up for them to go and do that to another person. They didn't have that proper upbringing uh, to to even fathom and harming another human being. And at the same time with saying that, when people, uh, you know, give up on rehabilitating those who um, have done something wrong, it is very sad now, um, have you ever, as a chaplain, a prison chaplain, have you ever had to go in and witness uh, and read, you know, um, the last words or last, I, some people call it last rites to individuals who had to face the death penalty? Were you put on the hot seat like that and had to go in through and, and witness these executions? Baruch Hashem, uh, thank the divine, I have not had to do that. Uh, Most of my, uh, when I was a prison chaplain, uh, working specifically in prisons, it was in Canada. And thankfully, Canada, like 70% of the nations of the world, has long since abolished the death penalty. And when I was a prison chaplain there, though I knew many people who in other, perhaps in the U.S. or other countries might have uh, gotten the death penalty based on their crimes, they were not facing it. And so uh, fortunately, my prison chaplaincy did not include that. 
My my oh, advocacy oh. since then, uh, with working with people on death rows, has been uh, has been vast, but it's mainly been through correspondence, mainly been uh, from a distance, and they've had separate spiritual advisors. Um, most of the people who have had active execution dates have not been Jewish, so they they have spiritual advisors from their own tradition, but they greatly appreciate the spiritual support that that I provide and that our group provides, and so that they know that our corner and growing segment, and I would say majority of the Jewish community, stands with them on the side of life and against right. their, their killing. Um, that's pretty awesome. Now, I'm going to take just a short, short break, uh, Cantor, and I want you to gather your thoughts because I do have even more questions for you um, on um, this particular topic. And if there are any, if there's anybody out there who have uh, questions and want to ask the Cantor about why he stands on the belief of uh, non-death penalty with the Laheim Jews, I want you to chime in, uh, show up, give us a, give us your questions, and he can answer your questions as we discuss this uh, topic. But um, right now, um, before we do anything else, I'm going to go to commercial break and um, just with a little station identification and song. Be right back. You are listening to the Caribbean Radio Show with Dr. Denise Gotadis on the Black Jewish Queen live chat. From author Dr. Denise Gotadis comes a self-help guide that will give you valuable information about the world around you in ways never imagined. The metaphysical God in relation to his creation. Available on Amazon. In this must-read book, you will learn about your importance in the world and the metaphysical universe around you. You will be introduced to the metaphysical God who has a relationship with you and those around you. Whether you are aware of this or not, you come into contact with him daily. He is omnipresent metaphysically. He is in and outside of his creation. And what does a metaphysical God have to do with you and the creation around you? You are a very big piece of a huge puzzle. The Metaphysical God in Relation to His Creator from author Dr. Denise Gotadis is available on Amazon. Order your copy right now. Adonai, 
We were talking a little bit about what Cantor Michael Zuzman fights for, the death penalty. Uh, He fights against the death penalty. And so he is a former Jewish prison chaplain, and he is a present chaplain now. Um, And I wanted to – the question that I had uh, with the continuing conversation, uh, Cantor, was have – I know that there has been like – uh, tragically, many innocent people that have not committed crimes, and they have uh, they're on death row. Um, have you witnessed this? These things happen in your experience. 
Yes, I believe I have. Uh, if, if folks would go to a group called Witness to Innocence, you will find a collection of individuals who have been exonerated from death row, who have been found innocent, often by DNA, uh, 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 DNA findings, or to go to the Death Penalty Information Center and look to the innocence page. But I myself, to answer your question, Dr. Gotautis, yes, I have been in correspondence with many people oh. in both through mm-hmm. the federal government and individual states who I will go to my dying day believing were wrongfully convicted and ultimately wrongfully executed. People who did not crime that led them to the execution chamber. And I believe this is all the more reason why, and I am in agreement, I can see your point in um, speaking against the death penalty because so many countless lives, I am sure, have passed through this world wrongfully uh, convicted of a crime and never. It happens, you know, it happens, give or take, it happens a whole lot. More than yes. what people are willing, yeah, more than what they're willing to say. Yes, the, some of many of the studies I've seen uh, will say that for every, it's roughly for every eight people that are um, on death row, one person has been exonerated. And so that basically aligns with the pen pals. We're in touch with many, many people. Many claim innocence, and I believe not all, but some, in fact, are and have been. And I'd like to share a quick story with you, if I may. Oh, sure. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So I lead um, different congregations in prayer at different holidays throughout the the year. And I was a high holiday cantor at a congregation up in New York uh, for for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Kippur, Mm -hmm. the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year, happened to feature the execution of one of our pen pals, uh, in in Texas. Now he was guilty. There's no doubt about that. But it happened that mm-hmm. the day after that that Yom Kippur service, I was sitting in a restaurant, and one other man was there, and he saw my shirt, uh, and that we struck a, a conversation about how he spoke once a year at Cornell University because we were in Ithaca, New York. He spoke once a year mm-hmm. up there about criminal justice, and I said, Oh, well, what do you speak about? He said, criminal justice. I said, well, I'm quite, I myself am quite an activist against the death penalty. And he said, yes, I'm against it. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yes, I was on death row for eight years for a crime I did not commit. And I'm the first person wow. to be exonerated based on DNA evidence in, in my state. His name was Kirk Bloodsworth. Uh, and uh, here was a man in, of all places at all times who happened to be in the same place that I was, who had been wrongfully put uh, in the in the face of execution. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. Because yes, um and I am I, I see the work that you've done, uh, and it's very I mean, it's extremely impressive. Um in in the in the in the organization that 
you have it's 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 outstanding because i mean i know that yes it's a lot of people out there who you have a disagree you know they disagree of course with not implementing um the death penalty but you know me personally i believe that it has saved a lot of innocent lives and it's sad when you know we come upon a story where uh someone was executed and they later find out that they murdered an innocent man i mean who 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 is held accountable for when innocent people are you know executed who's held accountable for this you know for doing this and yes in that context of the argument i believe that you know in that case it, it it should be stopped because no one you know for sure can say at all times that all of these people getting executed are guilty of that crime exactly what you said but some people are guilty and it could be as a result of not have the proper upbringing in their lives in order to do that or they may have some type of mental disorder like you know that causes them to snap that they never got help for and so yes i i really um i'm really uh glad that someone can defend people who you know can't defend themselves in these cases (laughs) um cantor any any other thoughts you have on this uh subject that uh certainly i i i could go on and on but there are two things that um come to mind uh immediately and uh, one is a very powerful image. If if people were to Google the name George Stinney Jr., George and then S-T-I-N-N-E-Y, George Stinney Jr., and y- you would come up upon a story of a 15-year-old boy, African-American boy, who was executed oh, yeah. in South Carolina and exonerated in exonerated about um, 70 years later. And Mm, um, mm, mm. all that stands is, you know, a gravestone saying that. Wrongfully convicted on his grave, George Stinney Jr., October 21st, 1929 to June 16th, 1944. Wrongfully convicted. 1944. Yep. Illegally executed by South Carolina. So I, I, there are. And I just pulled that up. Wow. Yep. Yes. You can find it. It's it's right there. So what do we do? Do we do we put South Carolina on death row now? <laughs> so truly so where, where where does it end? So I want to share that and the other thing I'll share um is the the quote from the, my Jewish tradition, uh one of the most uh one of the most renowned rabbis who's ever lived, Moses Maimonides, lived from eight, oh, from eleven thirty five to 1204, he famously said, quote, it is better to acquit a thousand guilty persons than to put a single innocent one to death. And mm-hmm. that informed a lot of the Jewish, traditional Jewish position, in, in my opinion, in the Talmud on, on the, uh, the, the non-use of the death penalty and why they tried to for all intents and purposes, legislate it out of existence. Oh, yes. And, yes, I pulled up the story, as you told, about 
Um, I do remember this case of this 14-year-old, and you're exactly right. Who pays the price when innocent blood is shed? Who's guilty of it? Is it the executioner? Is he supposed to be put? And I, I get what you're saying. It contradicts the laws uh, that everyone is uh, standing for. You know, it, it, it it's a big contradiction because if um, people who, the rule is that people who murder others are executed, then um, <laughs> then the people who accidentally put the innocents to death, should they be executed, the whole state. So excellent. Cantor, I can't, you know, that that just, that puts it all together in a nutshell. It does. It does. And, um, yes, I, I, I really, I really got your point with this because, um, it's awful. It's awful. The crime. Well, thank you. And, and may his memory be for a blessing. And may we all ever forget, uh, George Stinney and the many other people like him. Yes. It's, it's, it's sad and it's, and it's awesome and awesome work. Um, that you do. Now, if anyone wanted to get involved with your organization, cause is um, is there any um, information or any um, uh, hotline or anything you want to give to the listeners out there, or donate if they want to donate to your cause? Is there anything that they can do to help you um, help your organization? Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gotautis. Uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, the first uh, referral that I would give to people is to our, our sister and in many ways parent organization, Death Penalty Action. Now, I sit as an advisory board member on Death Penalty Action, and this is an organization that they are the ones who are actually physically present for every execution, and they're on the front lines, on the ground, and they are the ones holding the vigil. Um, I should yeah. say we are we are holding the vigils. I, I'm involved with it. Um, and, you know, L'Chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty, seeks to mobilize the Jewish world in support of their general work. There are many great abolitionist groups out there. This happens to be the one that um, that I, I feel is, is always at the front lines. And if you go to deathpenaltyaction.org, that's mm-hmm. deathpenaltyaction.org. You'll find all the links that, that are needed to sign petitions, to get involved, to get regular emails about what's going on. And in addition, if folks who I identify with Judaism or uh, want to come from this, this perspective, we welcome all allies to our Facebook group as well. And L'Chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty, can be found on Facebook. Uh, just type in L apostrophe C H A I M exclamation point um, because we do yes. this with an exclamation point uh, Jews against the death penalty and you'll find us and uh, we are um, closely tied with death penalty action which will link individuals in to uh, to this movement and indeed uh, donations are always appreciated uh, and most most uh, necessary in this work. And I'm definitely a cantor. We are going, I know that I'm going to be inviting you on future programs. 
I still have just a little bit more questions. <laughs> I know that it's kind of all over the place, but yes, I forgot to ask you about the uh, site. How how is it being a psychiatric hospital chaplain? Have you um, <laughs> certainly? People? I'm, I'm I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, no, you're fine. I, I, I'm interested in finding out your experience as a psychiatric hospital chaplain because I mean it's it's got to be uh, uh, at times challenging for the things that you have uh, witnessed and experienced pertaining to this topic. I'm 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 all ears, and so I know all the listeners out there. Well, certainly. Um... I can tell you, I used to be the, uh, a hospital chaplain at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, which is a forensic and civil psychiatric hospital serving the greater D.C. area, Washington, D.C. area. Now, before that, when I was a prison chaplain in Canada, there were, there were forensic hospitals within the prison system that I used to um, cater to. And before that, I had a good friend from college who had a psychotic break and ended up in prison when he should have ended up immediately in psychiatric care. And so I, I, from my personal experience and from my chaplaincy experience, I knew many people who uh, were in great need of mental health care, but instead ended up in the prison system. But then when I shifted to be a psychiatric hospital chaplain, I met people who were in that system, people who had broken the law and were deemed not guilty by reason of insanity. And uh, mm. that being a legal term, many of whom had committed horrible acts, awful things that in other jurisdictions, again, might have led to the death penalty. I got to know them when they were on medication and when they were um, different people, people who had the opportunity to heal and change. And the reason mm. I'm glad you brought, you brought up this, and I, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe if there's a reason you brought it up. It so happened yes. that right before I, I got on this program, I checked my Twitter feed, and I noticed that um, the, the child, one of the ex- federal execution victims, so somebody who was executed by the American federal government last year, right. uh-huh. posted that today, today is two years to the day that her mother got an execution date. Now, her mother was Lisa Montgomery. Oh. Lisa Montgomery was, was one of 13 human beings executed by the federal government. And why does this relate to your question? Because Lisa Montgomery was transferred from a federal psychiatric hospital directly to the death chamber and put to death. Oh. And this is a case of what our government did in all our names. I don't care what state a person is in, if they're, in, if they're a United States citizen, the federal government took this woman from a, from a psychiatric hospital where she was being treated and into a federal mm. death center and executed her. She got her death warrant two years ago to this day. And, and now you're asking me about the psychiatric hospital. It's as if the people yeah. that I worked with in that hospital who were striving to be better people, to be healed from led them to have to, to commit their crimes would were to have been mm-hmm. executed by right. my employer the federal government and um so when you ask me how mm. was it uh, uh, I, I i know i'm not directly answering the question i'm i'm 
Uh, oh but, no, but, you're fine. <laughs> all right. Well, it, it was it was very powerful because here on I was meeting people face to face once again. Who, if I looked at their record, right, as I did, right, and I saw what they had done, uh, if I were to judge them explicitly on that action, um, there's no right. way I, I might find myself in a room with them uh, and leading a Bible study group or going on, a, uh, uh, you know, having, having counseling sessions with them. But, uh, but I was seeing them in the treatment environment and where they were getting access to uh, support um, that they never had before. And um, so it was transformative in seeing the potential for treatment rather than, rather than killing. And now I see, I, I pulled up Lisa Montgomery, and um, I know that the public could be extra judgmental, but I could see where she did have severe uh, mental illnesses. It says she suffered from relentless physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, including being trafficked by her own mother. And so um, normally, I mean, you know, the psychology I took in college and, you know, the, the, you know, the little kids, when they are abused like this, when they have abuse of this nature, um, they shut down. They could have multiple personality disorders to where they don't even remember or recalling the crime because of the traumatic uh, things that happened to them. Uh, while they were children, and um, I see, you know, people black out. There is a reasonable um, thing. Uh, it, it goes deep within some of the people. And, um, you know, as you're talking about this, this is a very, very tragic and it's a very, very sad uh, case. And I know the story it goes on and on for many people who are sitting on death row that society uh, don't even consider they first listen to the bad parts of people rather than what co- what's the cause, not getting to the root of the cause, not solving the problem of the cause, um, Cantor. And, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it's very sad. Yes, it's it's a it's a it's a tragedy. It's an American tragedy, um, uh, and it's a tragedy in in any country where this still happens. And yes, there is no doubt that the action, just like the action of the people I knew in the psychiatric hospital, the action of Lisa Montgomery was that she that she took was awful, and there is no doubt that she uh, was continuing the cycle of violence that she had experienced. There is no doubt that the American government perpetuated again that very same cycle by putting her to death. And so this oh. is this is what we talk about when we're talking about the cycle of violence. It has become institutionalized. And this is exactly what um, one of my mentors, uh, the, a Presbyterian minister named Mr. Rogers, <laughs> Mr. Fred Rogers, um, <laughs> yeah. knew when he was uh, went on went to say, went on to say that he was against the death penalty because of the example that it showed children, the wrong example that it showed to children mm-hmm. um, that um, you know uh, these children who were talking about as as victims from childhood and then they become uh, victimized themselves 
Um, it almost uh, becomes a do as I say, not do as I do. You know, it almost becomes that way for children that are witnessing um, yeah. how the adults handle things. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's a there's a famous I can't remember the exact politician. I think it was, there's somebody in Pennsylvania who was involved in political office, and he was asked about the death penalty, and he said that his his uh, his stance changed when he his young son asked him about it, and he said, "Well, Dad, what 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 is this death penalty?" And his dad explained it to him. It's we we kill people who kill other people, and and his son said, "Well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand." Oh. <laughs> and the father said, "You know yeah. what? You're right." <laughs> yeah. Um, so from the mouths of babes. Oh yes. We can learn. A, I mean, we learn a lot. I mean, from our our peers, we learn a lot from our parents, and it is it's, send, it's sending the wrong signal to um, the generation that's coming up. And you know, where does it end? Where does it stop? It's going to stop, I believe, when people um, they have courage to speak up and say no we're not we we, you know stop the killing stop you know value value life for once you know let's do something different let's value another person let's value their life let's truly rehabilitate people not just talk about it but truly rehabilitate them and um, I believe people with severe mental illnesses who are a threat to society, it might be that if they open more mental hospitals to treat these individuals, if they have to be there for life, let them be there for life. If they have to be separated from the general population so they won't harm anyone because, I mean, some people seriously have things wrong with them uh, that is, you know, they can't control maybe, you know, but uh, yes, killing and, and continuously sending this message that everybody who kills somebody, they are um, fully aware of what they are doing. Some people may be, but some people are not. Some people can be uh, cold-hearted, and, you know, it's true. They could be cold-hearted, and they can just do this because they take pleasure in this. But it still should be a place where um, they can, you know, um, truly rehabilitate, think about what they do, continual rehabilitation, continual reprogramming is what I could call that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I I do believe that. And um, as a chaplain, I know that in a federal hospital, I know that you've seen every case of psychosis, every every case of uh, people that, um, you know, have uh, the tendencies. But I, I, you know, I've always believed, um, Cantor, that, you know, it it starts with the little children. It starts, you know, as you know, with little kids, when they come up from one to three, their little brains are like a sponge, little toddlers. They absorb everything. And if they're put in a violent environment in the beginning, um, you know, it starts there. I believe children should be checked on. <laughs> it should be something rather than spending all this money on lethal injections and everything. It mm. should be put more into the mental health of everyone. 
It should be exactly. put more in. Yeah. Yeah, and and Lisa Montgomery was was never checked on. She was never given a chance. And and the way our country handled her in the end, you mentioned lethal injection. She was injected, yes, and she it was mm-hmm. done with the same the same the same uh, legacy of lethal injection that was used on the mentally ill by the Germans during during World War II. You know, that's that's the oh. first time lethal injection was implemented in our world by the Nazis as mm-hmm. part of Achtung T4. And so it's, you know, what's the difference? The Nazis used it to eliminate people with mental illness. Our government used it to eliminate a woman with severe mental illness. Uh, I, I don't see a difference. And, um, right. you know, every, every time it's used in this country, it's that legacy. And Ellie Wiesel knew it and others knew it. And so um, I, I, there, there is no space for it in this land or in this world. Mm, no, it's not. I don't think it's the way of Hashem at all. I think um, people do deserve a chance to live, and it's 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 a tra- it's a tragedy. And I see um, on your Facebook page, I see many who are you're fighting for, who are up for the death penalty, and um, I'm looking at your Facebook page right now. and yeah the latest um the latest as i'm going as i'm scrolling down uh what is the what is your opinion on the parkland killer the parkland killer he was i think he was given uh life instead of the death penalty and i know this is highly controversial um the Jewelry was right not to give the Parkland killer the death penalty. What do you, how do you feel about this particular case? Well, I'm glad you brought it up because it's very fresh in the public eye right now. And yes, I know it's controversial in the public eye. However, it's it's not controversial in in our eyes. You know, we are against uh, the death penalty in in every single case uh, because of the the position. Um, born out of not only uh, the Jewish um, rabbinical, the evolution of Jewish rabbinical law over the years, but also cultural memory. You know, we, I cited just now the Nazis. I cited Elie Wiesel, who was a famous abolitionist and who said, as, as is quoted, with every cell of my being and with every fiber of my memory, I oppose the death penalty in all forms. I do not believe any civilized society should be at the service of death. I don't think it's human to become an agent of the angel of death. And what that means from our perspective is that there is, there is zero tolerance. That is a line that is never crossed. It's a line that should not have been crossed uh, in, 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 in the trials of the same Nazis who portrayed death. You know, we stand with yes. people like, um, with, like Martin Buber, the famous Jewish theologian who wrote I Am yes. Thou. And countless others mm-hmm. who opposed the Israeli execution of Adolf Eichmann, Adolf Eichmann, for that very reason, because right. it lowered to the, to, the, to the level of the Nazis. And so mm-hmm. we opposed it in every case, in every possible case, including in the case of this, of this Parkland shooter, who in his case, yeah. even if he did not have uh, mental, mental health issues um, and a, a documented mental illness, we would still be against it. 
But Kal Vachomer, all the more so, when we see uh, and we hear about uh, his, his life and talking about that in the context of mental health. And so we are firmly 100% against it. And, and what I said at the very beginning still stands. You asked me the, the excellent question of what would I say to a family member? Um, I, right. I would say the same. I, I have zero, I have no judgment. I would not begin to try to put myself in the position of someone who lost a family member in the wake of that horror. And I, I would, there is no judgment. If, if people want, want the death penalty, if people want the worst possible fate for the perpetrator of that crime, I do not judge them one iota for that. What right. I though is that our society handles the matter with the utmost respect for human rights and for um, the basic, basic ethics in light of the experience of our people in the 20th century and particularly in light of the state-sponsored murder that we saw and so that is that is my perspective that is our perspective we are uh, against the death penalty in the Parkland shooter case and in all cases Right. Okay. And now I see the lethal injection. It isn't a medical procedure. And I see that you have stated, uh, well, not you, but I see the Tennessean.com, they stated, hey, stop involving medical professions, professionals in this because medicine, when you think about it with medicine, doctors take the oath to save lives, not to take away lives. So, that is another uh, contradiction in itself when they have a doctor or a nurse go in and minister the lethal injection. That's another great um, controversial topic, too. Uh, what, yep. do you, what is your feelings on that? <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right, Dr. Gotautis. The Hippocratic Oath um, uh, that doc, um, and that uh, and and the guide that the number one uh, principle in medical ethics is do no harm, and so uh, uh, actively putting someone to death, whether it's by um, lethal injection, or as other states are using uh, the gas chamber and Zyklon B or the electric chair or um, what have you, um, even doctors, you know, checking. Uh, to see if, if other modes of execution like the firing squad have been successful. All of that is participating in a system that is indeed doing harm. And um, mm-hmm. all medical organizations of, of any repute have repudiated um, the involvement of any healthcare professional in any sort of execution process, rightfully so. Yes. As a result, what's mm-hmm. happened is a lot in a lot of jurisdictions, there is no somebody, there is no person with medical training, and the the process, particularly in the lethal injection process, where you have to find veins and you have to um, uh, you know input uh, uh, input different things. People are not qualified to do it. Often, it's people who work in the prisons who are correctional officers, yes. and they do horrible horrible jobs of of essentially torturing the individual. Uh, and um, there was a recent case in Alabama where uh, it took three hours for the, the veins to oh. be sampled. And uh, Joe James, it, it was the longest lethal injection process ever. And then subsequent wow. to that, the next person, they actually ran out of time 
um, because um, they couldn't find a vein and the execution warrant expired at midnight. And so they had spent all this time trying to kill him. And then they said, oh, the execution warrant has expired. Go back to your cell. And he oh. went back to his cell with, uh, yes, that's Alan Miller, our pen pal, Alan Miller, and went back to his cell with, uh, with all these uh, injuries. And, uh, and this mm. is our, this is, this is the best, th- this is what America offers. And, you know, it goes back to, to, to Gandhi. You know, you started this program with the reference to the, the, the um, ancient biblical principle of eye for an eye, which, of course, anybody right. who is aware of <laughs> Jewish law realizes that rabbinic interpretation of that over centuries has mitigated that almost out of existence. But Gandhi famously said, eye for an eye makes everybody go blind. But Gandhi also right. said, quote, a nation's greatness is measured by how it treats its weakest members. And so America's okay. greatness, it should be measured by how it treated that man who, Alan Miller, who was tortured and then brought back to his cell, or Lisa Montgomery, who was transferred from a psychiatric hospital, or Joe James, who took three hours to die on the, on the table. This is how we need to measure what American values are. You know, it almost reminds me of euthanasia and how, um, and this is kind of getting off the topic, but how some people, they they might have a terminal illness and they choose to kill, you know, medically induced killing themselves. But this euthanasia is in a different way. It's killing people who they deem uh, to be a threat to society without fully treating them for those mental illnesses. But euthanasia in any form uh, is, um, it, in this case, you know, in some cases, it, it's very bad. I think it causes society to as a whole, and this is my opinion, Cantor, it causes society as a whole to, you know, kind of lose itself. Um, they lose um empathy they lose morality and yes just like you said i mean the weakest members uh the poorest members who cannot seek out uh mental health and i could say this you know within the black community it's a lot of people who will not go out and seek the mental health help that they need and there is a great need for more uh psychologists psychotherapists uh mental health practitioners in the inner cities, even in the poor uh, the poor parts of many communities throughout the United States and other nations. Um, because once um, this mental health crisis has got a cap on it, maybe uh, some of these crimes, it would not be committed in, at the same time with the mental health thing. Uh, people if they get the education that they need, they give these families the thing, the basic things that they need in order to survive just, you know, basic things of life. Uh, Instead of uh, people having to be take care of their families, they feel threatened. They go out and try to um, steal or harm someone else because they don't have enough food. They don't have enough this, you know what I'm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) Yeah. It 
is causes and, and, and the little causes, these little bitty things that everybody overlooking look down on poor people for the basic necessities of life. They're not given that. They're not given the equal chance to survive like those who are highly educated and will go and, you know, some highly educated, I won't say will go and commit crimes as well. <laughs> but the need is basically across the board, mental health. And for the poor the poor people in our society, the need is for them to have the basic necessities, the things that they need to survive, to cut these crimes down. That will be, you know, an awesome thing to start at, with nipping this death penalty thing in the bud. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. that's a whole different thing. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And and you mentioned you mentioned the black community and there is no doubt that this human rights abomination affects and impacts um uh the black and, and the communities of color more so uh than uh than any other. One of the most um uh quoted and, and um, I think um, telling fact is that the death penalty um, is, there's a, I forgot the exact percentage, but is, it's used much more when the victim is, is white as opposed to when the victim is black. And a lot of, um, oh. a lot of studies have discovered that if you, if you go to, um, DeathPenaltyInformationCenter.com, okay. um, uh, and if you type in like the the issue of race, um, uh-huh. the, here, yeah, the death penalty has long come under scrutiny for being racially biased. Earlier in the 20th century, when it was applied for the crime of, of rape, 89 percent, 89 percent of the executions involved black defendants. Um, uh, in the modern era, and this is what I was getting to before, when executions have been carried out exclusively for murder, 75% right. of the cases involve the murder of a white victim, even though blacks and whites are about equally likely to be the victims of murder. And right. so uh, the only other thing I want to say is just referring to the late Martin Luther King Jr., of blessed memory, who famously said mm-hmm. this about the death penalty. Quote, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper yes. darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction I do not think that God approves the death penalty for any crime, rape and murder included. Capital punishment is against the better judgment of modern criminology and above all against the highest expression of love in the nature of God. And to paraphrase what he said elsewhere, it is the final statement of society that there are some people who are beyond redemption, which is anathema to most spiritual traditions of which I'm aware. Oh yeah. Wow. Awesome. And it's 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 all true. Now, exactly what you said, it's 55.5% of white Americans are executed 
and it says 75% on the other. Um, it's like a um, circular, what do you call those things? Um, oh, my brain is just not working today. But it's 75% versus 16% of blacks, and the others are 2%. The Latinx is 7, 7%. Um, it's a circle graph, and um, I'm noticing that more than 75% of the murder victims in cases resulting in an execution were white, even though nationally only 50% of murder victims generally are white. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is something. This is yeah, something. The, the, this the, is the there, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. And, um yeah, and there are many, um, many, including myself, I thought the majority were um, blacks getting executed, but as the days go, and, you know, with everything, it's like 41% is black, now 42% of the people on death row are uh, white, and only 14% Latino, and 3% is the other half. And um, these graphs, this is a very, very good um information death penalty information center very good site and as you yeah uh cantor this is a very very um enlightening and meaningful i learned you know a lot (laughs) with what you uh have shared with us well i i thank you and and you know i i i want to add as well that um since i started this this uh work um there have been three countries um, that have abolished the death penalty since I've become an active abolitionist in 2020. All three of them are, are what others might call third world countries in Africa, and they have all oh. abolished the death penalty, including Sierra Leone, um, oh. uh, Equatorial Guinea, and there's another one mm-hmm. that I'm, mm-hmm. just, I'm forgetting right now, but these are countries that, are, that have uh, seen the light um, yeah, uh, uh, for all the various reasons we're talking about, um, whereas here in the U.S. we still have not. Baruch Hashem! Wow! And so your work is um, carrying over, and it's reaching many people. And I pray that it reaches many nations that they listen and uh, they they you know help your cause because this is awesome. And that, you know, at the same time, with your cause, um, Cantor, <laughs> um, may, with your cause, may alongside your cause, may there be a push for uh, people to get the mental health, you know, get mentally healthy, get the help that they need instead of being ashamed, because I know it's a taboo. It's a taboo for uh, people to go and seek out mental health professionals to get the help that they know that they need. And society is sad that they made it to be a shame. They made it to where, you know, it's a taboo and they call people, you know, crazy. And you know what I mean, but people um, hopefully with what you're doing um, there is a, you have a, I hope you have a sister organization that's right beside you that's pushing the um, mental health awareness for these communities that need it because it's a, lately, you know, with this coronavirus cancer, everybody, uh, there has been a great need for uh, mental health because there's been a lot of uh, the increase in domestic um, 
crimes, domestic, you know, abuse crimes. Um, mm-hmm. I know with the police officers and everything. Well, mm-hmm. no, you're absolutely we, right. I, I pray for that as well, and and I hope I hope that that will come to fruition. Um, I will say briefly, the American Psychological Association recently, just th- this past August, made us uh, had a call to extend death penalty ineligibility to people younger than 21 when they committed their crimes because according to um, brain development statistics the brain isn't even fully developed until the age of about 25 so um, we are getting we are seeing inroads we have a lot more work to do and i pray that we will get that mental help mental health help that you have articulated so well oh well Cantor, I just thank you so much for coming on the program. And any time that you would like to come and speak about what you're doing, I'm sure the listeners out there, they would really want to hear from you again. I would be so happy if I could invite you up again on a future on a future program. And uh Wanted to say, Cantor, if you can pray for the host of um, the chat reel, Billy Tappan. Um, I found out after my plane, because I'm right now I'm in the United States. After my plane touched down Thursday or Wednesday night, I, I talked to him briefly, and Thursday night I found out leaving work he collapsed. And um, I don't know what's going on, and I'm praying for him. But I ask for the prayers of everybody out there listening uh, to pray that his health return to him, because to my understanding, he's in the hospital. I will absolutely do that. If we have a minute, I can offer a traditional prayer for healing for him right now. um, Oh, thank you. Uh, Oh, sure. How do you pronounce his last name? Captain. T-A-P-P-I-N. T-A-P-P-I-N. Okay, this is a traditional prayer for healing in the Hebrew, um, and then I'll translate it for um, Mr. Billy Tappan. (laughs) Billy Tappan, Hakadosh Baruchu, Yimale Rachamimoto, Lehakaziko, Rapoto, Yishmaklo, Mehera Rifua Shalema, Rifuatanefe Shurfuatagu, Betoksha Archole Israel, Korio Shretel, Ashtab Agalau is man Kadib, Venomar. May God who blessed our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, bless and bring a full healing to Mr. Billy Tappan. Now the Holy One, blessed be, grant a swift healing of mind, body, and spirit to him, together with all in need of healing here and everywhere, and all who take shelter under God's wings. As we say, Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful, Cantor. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on the program. I really appreciate you. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate you as well. I thank you.
and um, awesome. Thank you so much and, for having and, me. It's been a great honor, and I will continue to keep Billy in my prayers for Rafua Shlema, for a full healing, and I look forward to the opportunity to chat with you again, Dr. Gotautis. Oh, thank you. You definitely will, Cantor. Thank you so much. And we're going to go out with um, a Queen Esther song. That's what I have lined up. And Cantor, um, Michael Zuzman, we, we just thank him. And we love him, and we appreciate him. Thank him, everybody, for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and Lakaya to life. Lakaya to life.
Such a time as this. 